Father, thank you that you are here and thank you that you're going to speak to us this morning. And so, Father, as we look at your word together, help us to be receptive to your spirit's work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please do have a seat. Well, there's, um, there's two things that I'd really like to try and do together this morning. And the first of those things is, for those of you who've heard more sermons than you've had time to apply recently, you know, your heads are exploding a bit, um, and there's all that stuff that needs doing because that thing, Christmas, is coming, and you've got that kind of November feeling where we're all a little bit run down. And to be honest, you'd rather just kind of have a little bit of a nap this morning. Well, I just kind of want to give you permission, maybe the first time and last time I'm ever going to do this. If you need that this morning, I hope actually there's going to be space during this talk to have a bit of a rest. And to have a bit of a rest in the sense of just re-engaging a little bit with the amazing joy that is Christmas. Okay, bad joke coming. You got Christmas, you take Christ out of Christmas and you're left with M and S. Yeah? Yeah. And um, and you know that we need more than M and S, right? So we um, and certainly if you're buying for teenagers, they need more than M and S, just you know, just anyway. So but we need the Christ. And I hope for you this morning that you might just just relax a bit, rest a bit, and re engage with Jesus Christ. And for those of you who are uh, hungry this morning, and actually, uh, you know, God's kind of calling you, and He's knocking gently at your door, and He's saying, Look, you know, less of you and more of me. And I just really want to speak with you this morning. I hope that as we go through this passage, there's going to be some real challenges as we look at these characters of Boaz, of Ruth, and Naomi, and we can see how Jesus might be teaching us to be more Christ like in the very ordinariness of our lives. I'd love to encourage you, if you get a chance this week, to, um, to read the book of Ruth. It's really short, just four chapters, and it is a beautiful love story. It's a story with the perfect ending. You'll have heard the quote from The Life of Pi, everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Well, the story of Ruth has the ending of all endings. It is an amazing story. It shows us, um, just as Ruth and Naomi don't have a straight journey through life, in fact, there are many unexpected and unwelcome twists and turns, and on many occasions it seems as though darkness is winning, it shows us that in the end, their faithfulness, their hard work, Boaz's wise and sacrificial rescue all mirrors the great rescue that God has put into action through sending Jesus Christ. It mirrors to us a story that has persisted from the dawn of time. A story that goes like this. Somehow, we are going to be saved from the evil stuff. And somehow, there is more than just this. 
And that story that has persisted from the dawn of time is written in all sorts of ways, through all sorts of different religions, through all sorts of songs and through all sorts of literature. And we have the huge, huge privilege, folks, of having it in its true and fullest form in Jesus Christ. God has sent himself in Jesus to show us his unending, faithful and forever love. He's come to set us free from death and all that is connected with death. He took the mess on himself, so we simply have to trust him. And as we trust him, his Holy Spirit begins a work in us. And that work in us allows us to live free and then to enjoy freedom, to enjoy creativity, to be full of joy, to be full of peace, to be full of love for all eternity. God is our redeemer. And the psalmist says this, his anger is for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night. It may last for the night, folks, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. In the morning, joy will come. And God is at work now. And what he has prepared for you and I for all eternity is beyond our wildest dreams. And this is phenomenally good news. And when Jesus Christ entered into humanity, he showed us just how we can be in relationship with this awesome God. As we start Advent, as Christians, let us just get what Christmas is about again. Let's come to Jesus again. Um, Now, I've started uh, quite a lot of sermons recently by saying things like, uh, the Bible's not about us, it's about God. Um, There's loads of heroes and heroines of, of the faith, but actually they're not really that heroic. Often, to be honest, they're a bunch of losers, a bunch of wimps, a bunch of sinners. They're, they're just a bit rubbish, really, most of the characters in the Bible. They mess up big time. Uh, they murder someone so they can sleep with their wife. They, I mean, they do this incredibly horrendous rubbish stuff, most of these so-called heroes and heroines of the faith. Um, but coming to today's sermon... If you were wanting to emulate some characters in the Bible, you wouldn't do too bad to pick up on Boaz, Naomi, and Ruth. You see, Boaz is a wonderful man of God. And because he is so uh, infused by the Spirit of God, we see in him many connections to Jesus. And I'm just going to draw a few of those out. Firstly, um, Boaz is a really observant man. He notices Ruth. He admires her hard work and her faithfulness to Naomi. And he is compassionate to her. Just as Jesus noticed the prostitute. Just as Jesus noticed those on the margins of life. Just as Jesus today notices us when life has put us in a hard place. And just as he notices us when we go on humbly serving him in the ordinariness of our lives. 
Secondly, Boaz has a really soft heart. He calls Ruth in chapter 2, verse 8, my daughter. And this is a gentle term of affirmation. You know, Jesus uses exactly the same terminology here, and he uses it once. And he uses it when he's speaking to a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And he says to her, my daughter, your faith has healed you. It's a real term of affirmation, of bringing up the lowly to be part of you in in a kind of equal family relationship. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that's happening. And Boaz does this for Ruth. Jesus does it for the woman who's bleeding for 12 years. And he does it today because he calls you. You read your New Testament, he calls you sons and daughters of the king. He affirms you and brings you into his family. Thirdly, um, so Boaz has uh, noticed, he's been observing, he's been soft-hearted. He's also prepared to interact with someone way below his normal social standing. He offers Ruth a drink of water. Now, this is huge. This was way over the top for a man in his position. Way over the top in kindness. Just in the same way that Jesus' grace to us is way over the top. And if you want a challenge to take away this morning, perhaps ask yourself, when was the last time you were way over the top in showing undeserved kindness to another? That's a challenge. It's being Christ-like when we do. It's not easy. And here we are, we land ourselves in chapter 4. Boaz has fallen in love with Ruth, and then he sacrificially, patiently, calmly, and rightly uses his wisdom and his kindness to set her free from another and make her his equal by marrying her appropriately and drawing her into the wider community. Just as Jesus has come to set us free and shower upon us appropriate, wonderful, true love. And so we get this great character, Boaz. And um, he does, he really acts very cleverly and very wisely. We find um, that in chapter 4, he has a bit of a conundrum. Ruth has come to him in the night and basically she's kind of said to him, look, will you marry me? Sort yourself out here. Come on. Will you marry me? She's pretty brave. She's kind of cool, and I wish we were kind of focusing on Ruth, but we're not today. We're focusing on Boaz. So anyway, um, what Boaz does, which is very good, is that he actually responds very quickly. He doesn't play uh, hard to get and think, well, maybe I'll call her in a few weeks' time. He responds immediately. The next morning, he gets up, and he goes to sort it out because there's an issue. In their culture... At that time, there was another man that had first claim to Ruth. And he kind of holds himself within the law of the time and in the culture and says, well, I need to sort it out. I need to do this right and do it properly. And so he calls together the elders of the town, and that was the way you did things at that time. And he uh, gets them to be the witnesses to the whole thing that's going to happen. That's what made it all legal and made it all kind of proper in the community. So he does that. Um, and what happens is that uh, he, we suddenly hear into the story that Naomi 
has a bit of land to sell. Now, we've not heard about this land anywhere else in the book of Ruth. And it raises some questions for us. Well, if she had that land, why is she so poor? If she had that land, why is Ruth gleaning in someone else's fields? What's going on? The honest answer is, we don't know. It is highly possible and probable that the land was confiscated from them, family line, when they had to flee the country because of the famine. It might be that they've come back and the land is just so unfarmable, um, it's just such a wreck, that they've not really been able to do anything with it, just Naomi and Ruth. They've not had the strength or power to, to sort it out and to farm it. It might be that Naomi has only just discovered that this land actually belonged to her. And anyway, she's going to sell it. Now, we don't know if she's going to sell it because she's, just, she's poor and she needs some money, or whether actually Naomi and Boaz might have hatched a bit of a plan together. You see, this land would come with it a need to carry on Naomi's family line, which means whoever got the land would get Ruth. But they'd have to buy the land first. So Boaz goes to this other guy and he says to him, you know, this land, you're the first person in, in the line to get it. If you want to buy it, you want to redeem it, you, you get it, uh, mate. Um, and the guy goes, yeah, sure, fine, great. Why not? Add another bit of land to what you already own. And then Boaz comes in and says, but if you get the land, then you've also get Ruth. And now this becomes a problem for the other man. It becomes a problem to him for maybe many reasons. But he basically has to spend his money, buy this land, sleep with this woman, have a child, and then that child gets the land and he gets nothing. So you see why it's a big sacrifice for him. He may already be married. He may not really have enough money to spend on a piece of land that he will then get nothing from. He may have other children that he's got to think of. And so he can't do it. And he says, I can't do it. And Boaz gets to do it. He gets to sacrificially pay for the land. He doesn't care about sacrificing his name, his inheritance, his money, because he loves Ruth. And so his love for Ruth and Naomi means he sacrifices for them. And it's incredible, absolutely incredible. You see, the power a Boaz-type character has in affirming and releasing is actually a power that each of us hold and that each of us can enact for others, whether you're three or 103. And I told a story in the first service of a time when I was uh, going on a a train journey uh, with a man who was speaking at a conference, and he was an older man, and um, we were going to be going in the car, because he lived in Hammersmith, I was a bit cheeky, and said, can we have a lift, because we're going up north, can I come with you? But when we got nearer the time, it was January, and the snow had all come down, he didn't really want to drive, and so we kind of got the train together, and I thought, oh, it's going to be a bit awkward, don't really know each other, three hours on a train, and now there's no real reason to be travelling together, but we are travelling together. So, um, so I get my bag, and I, I see as I get on the train, he's already there and sat in his seat. 
I think this guy, he runs this like international Christian organization. He's got a big church he's really involved in. He writes loads of books and he's going to be the keynote speaker at this conference. He is not going to want to spend three hours talking to a random younger woman who he doesn't really know. So I think I'll be kind to him. So I'll get out, you know, my um, MP3 player and my headphones and a few big books and I'll, um, I'll kind of take them with me as I go and sit down because as I do that, really I'm going to kind of be giving him permission to ignore me. He doesn't have to talk to me. So I do this and I sit down and he turns to me and says, oh, I'd love to chat. It's almost as if, you know, he knew what I was doing. He said, I love to chat with you. And we chatted for three hours, and he affirmed me and built me up and mentored me a bit and taught me things I didn't know and listened to me and valued me as another human being. He was being a bit like a Boaz in releasing me in different ways in his kindness. And each of us have immense power within us to do that for others. Who might the Lord be calling you to help affirm and release today? Amazing. And so um, back to the storyline, we get this amazing celebration that goes on at the end of the chapter because it's fabulous. Um, Boaz gets to marry Ruth. Brilliant. She's not got the other man. Boaz has got her. It's all great. And um, it's just a fantastic, fantastic celebration. And the community prays for them. It prays a brilliant prayer over them. And if you've got time this week, go and have a look at the prayer they pray and make the biblical connections. But they basically pray huge amounts of blessing on this couple and that their children are going to be really significant. And of course their children are. Because who do they have? They have Obed, who's the grandfather of King David. And we know that David grew up knowing the Lord because his father Jesse knew the Lord. Jesse knew the Lord because Obed knew the Lord because Boaz knew the Lord. Hugely significant stuff that's going on. Anyway, so you can look more into that uh, when there's more time. But we also come uh, full circle and right at the end of the chapter four, have a look. Who gets to hold the baby? Who gets the baby? Naomi. Naomi gets the baby. Because the story in this book has actually been Naomi's. Naomi had had to flee her home because of famine. She had lost her husband. Her two sons then die whilst she is away in a strange land. And she ends chapter one with a bitter complaint. She says, I went away full And the Lord has brought me back empty. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me, says Naomi. And then there looks like there might be hope in this Boaz guy, but it's not an easy journey. There's lots of setbacks because um, Boaz uh, has got another man in the way to kind of deal with. And, you know, he's so upright and so holy. He doesn't just marry Ruth. He does things properly. And we we don't know how it's going to work out. Is he going to get her or not? And, you know, sometimes the frustrations in life can come through the times when there's actually good things happening and people are being good, as well as through the times when there are bad things happening. Anyway, there's that setback. And then after all that, I don't know if you've picked up on it as we've been thinking about the story, but Ruth, who marries Boaz, what if she can't have children? 
She's already been married to Naomi's son for several years and there has been no child. Ruth has been barren up to this point. So many uncertainties. Naomi's life, though a godly woman, has not been straightforward and has been a path of many different twists and turns that have been painful. John Piper says this, though, that although Naomi's hardships and, um, have been very real, all through them God has given her little glimpses of hope, as he often does for us too. She loses her husbands and two sons, but she gains a faithful companion in Ruth. It doesn't replace them, but it's a glimpse of hope. When all seems to be going wrong, God has indeed preserved the upright and wealthy Boaz. And in the end, God does a miracle. He opens Ruth's womb. And the lesson of the book of Ruth is for us to learn today that the life of the godly is not a straight line to glory. Life is one curve after another. We don't know what's coming. Except that the best is yet to come. No matter where you are or how old you are, if you love the Lord, the story, his story over you, over the whole of humanity, is that the best is yet to come. And in our very ordinary lives, the people we connect to and the things we do, if we say to the Lord, please use me, if we're obedient like Ruth and like Mary, her great descendants, if we pledge our willingness and our loving obedience into God's hands, we can enjoy a place of refuge under God's wings. God, not Boaz, is our Redeemer, and his wings cover us. Whether right now we are fulfilled or unfulfilled in life, whether things are going brilliantly, or actually this is a hard spot, still the best is yet to come. As we enter Advent, hold the hope It's all about hope. But it's not hope built on a foolish wish or a whim. It's not because I'm weak and I need a crutch. Hope is real. As we look into the miracle of Jesus Christ and as he resurrects from the dead and defeats it forever, we know without a doubt that the best is yet to come. Amen.